Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. Hello, all you good humans, and welcome to episode number 34 of Good Humans Podcast. Hope everyone's had a very nice week. Great to hear everybody tuning into Good Humans 1% podcast on Tuesdays. It's been fun getting to bring some light to the 1% club and also share some of my own insights. Something new that I want to sort of put out there for this week is anybody who leaves a review on Apple Podcast, put your Instagram at handle at the bottom of it. And every month I'm going to randomly choose one person and I'm going to send them a full Good Human prize pack. I'm going to send them a shirt, a hoodie, and just a couple fun little bits of merch that we've been putting out. So, yeah, if you want to get involved and leave a review, hopefully a positive one, if not a negative one, all all criticism is taken on board and hopefully we can use it to improve. So, yeah, if you write a review and leave your Instagram at handle after the review, I'm going to print them all out every month, put them up on my wall, use them as motivation. So, yeah, it's a good way to get involved and let me know what you think of the podcast. So, on to today's episode, though. Wow, this is a really special episode for me. Um, From starting Good Humans, we've been really focusing on athletes, social media stars, and people with big profiles. But today's guest is, he's a politician. So he's a guy that I've been lucky enough to have a great relationship with through my surfing and him being the minister for Manly. He's been very actively involved in trying to get surf comps into Manly. So that's where my relationship started with him. But it was really nice to get to have this chat and really dig into the way that he got into politics and then now he's the environment minister for New South Wales. So it's really cool that I got to have this conversation. It felt like an absolute privilege and it was a good way to hopefully educate all you listeners out there a little bit, what goes in on behind the scenes in politics, what his future views are for the environment, being the new minister for environment. And yeah, I hope you all really enjoyed this conversation. I learned a lot and it definitely, definitely was a big eye-opener for me. Welcome, the Honourable James Griffin. It's great to have a chat, mate. Um, thanks for having me in your office down here in Manly. How's your morning been? Good, Cooper. It still feels very weird having you call me the Honourable. <laughs> uh, four years ago, um, you know, very different space, but um, a privilege to now be the state's environment minister. So it's great. Yeah, which, which we're going to get into talking about. I mean, hopefully I can still call you mate because I feel like we've got that relationship. It's been really cool to somewhat share that journey with you from being a young professional surfer in the area. I know how much you've done for surfing in the area of Manly and how much it's meant to you. But I want to get to know your story a little bit better from, I guess, the start. So where'd you grow up and what was your family life like to sort of set the scene of how you've got into the journey you're on now? Yeah, I... I the answer to where did I grow up is um, a pretty complex, difficult one to answer because both my mum and dad were in the army and so we got posted and moved around every uh, 18 months, two years maybe, um, to a different location and lived in some really interesting spots from Townsville up in Queensland 
a lot of time in Victoria, New South Wales, and then we also went overseas to the UK, um, where there was a um, uh, army base or barracks over there that Dad was posted to. So it was um, a pretty nomadic lifestyle growing up. And then we settled in Manly in 1997, so a while back now, but um, we sort of decided, you know, this is the spot and um, have lived basically in Manly ever since. I love that. And you're obviously very passionate about Manly. I know you've done so much for the community here, which we will talk about in a minute, but I'm so intrigued as how to get into politics. So what was your high school life like and what sort of set that scene for politics for you? Yeah, I was um, not the greatest academic um, student, but I think because we moved around a lot, you were thrown into new situations and you had to adapt. So I made friends pretty easily and, and kind of connected with people. So, but politics wasn't on my radar at school. Like it just wasn't a thing that I was particularly interested in. I didn't really have a, a reason to be interested in it. It was just normal, you know, growing up. Um, and then I think it more so became um, something that I was focused on when I, it was around the Sydney Olympics in year 2000 and um, I remember there was a lot going on and the Corso back then was a pretty violent place mm. and all the pubs in the area recognised along with the police that, and the residents that something needed to be done to, to fix up the Corso and it was a pretty notorious um, like spot crime, for, for crime spot. And, and violence of Friday and Saturday night in particular. So I kind of got involved in that discussion and it, it, in trying to encourage and come up with ideas and policies to sort of help improve the area for young people going out and not make it as dangerous as it, as it was at that time. And that became a model for other parts of Sydney to then adopt because all the pubs worked together, improved their security, simple things like moving the taxi rank and doing you know pretty basic stuff. But in the long run, that set the scene for an improved um, nightlife in Manly. And that I, through that I learnt that you need to work with politicians and the council and the state government to make things happen and, and to affect change. Um, and then from that point I kind of got hooked and, and understood that you can, you can make, you know, if you want to make change you've got to be involved in politics and involved in the discussion. Mm. doesn't mean you have to be a politician, but, you know, that's a critical part of it. Yeah. And then I think the other driver was both mum and dad being in the army. They were really big on service. Like, you know, you've you got to try and live to be involved in life for something bigger than yourself um, because that's what ultimately will sustain you. Like if you're just constantly, you know, focused on yourself and not, uh, you know, your, your surrounds or other people, then you're probably not um, doing the best for yourself. So service was a big part. Um, and then... Yeah, politics then came alive. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting story. And, and I can imagine most politics start with that strong why to wanting to give back to the community. And Manly such an important part of the culture in Australia, especially for the surf community. What kind of got you... What's the stepping stones, I guess, for politics? Because it's something that I feel like I'm very uneducated on and I think a lot of people... I mean, I'll start this conversation actually around the schooling side of it because... I think three things that really affect us in our life and every single person gets affected by is politics, finance and well-being. Mm. And they're three things that I feel like I was very uh, that I still am quite self-educated on. I feel like I'm 
quite behind in understanding around finance, very behind in understanding in politics, and I'm obviously starting to grasp um, well-being quite well. Why do you think we are, not we are uneducated around that, but do you think it is time maybe to try and incorporate that into the education system a bit? Because I think politics is something that does affect us all yet until, like we had a chat before we um, jumped on air, until it really affects us individually, we kind of feel like it's a bit off the radar. What's your kind of take on that? Yeah. I, I think by virtue of the fact that we live in a country that's, you know, free and fair and has democratic elections and it's a, generally speaking, you know, you're not concerned about uh, your government collapsing or something happening as opposed to another country in other parts of the world where things are, are pretty dire. Mm. So it, it's not until something happens in your life that you then realise, oh, okay, this is occurring to me or it's an issue that I'm, I'm concerned about and it's to do with politics. Um, I, so I think people, you know, you've got to vote, everyone knows you've got to vote, but they only think about that in the, maybe the couple of days leading up to an election mm. or, or as they're walking into the polling booth and are maybe informed about what they're how their parents voted or maybe just I think you know I, I'm passionate about different things and I assume that this p- particular political party or person supports that but don't really put much thought into it beyond that and then there's the complexity of the, f- the fact that you have your local council mm. the state government and the, and the commonwealth or the federal government and I think the last two years with COVID have demonstrated the role that the state government play in our lives and versus um, the federal government and, and to a lesser degree the local council. So you've got three levels of government. Um, people thought that everything happened out of Canberra and mm. the Prime Minister called all the shots and that's, that's what impacted our lives. But COVID showed that it's the state governments that deliver the services like health, police, schools... Uh, and to to um, d- differing degrees, a whole bunch of other different policies. So, um, you know, civics and education on that, and politics generally in schools. Uh, you know, I think each school does it differently and to differing levels of success. But as individuals, it's not until something happens to you that you realise, oh, I should pay a bit of attention here. And also, I think a lot of politicians or the the um, the way that they use and communicate to people um, doesn't doesn't directly kind of get in the face of or, or connect or resonate with different demographics, mm. uh, especially younger people. Like, and I put that in inverted you know commas. I mean, I in in relative to other politicians, I'm a younger politician. Um, so yeah, I was going to touch on that because you are, I mean, under forty, and I can imagine there's probably not that many politicians. You're probably in a very small minority in parliament. And like, do you think that gives you a bit more, for one, of connection with people like myself who are quite young? Because I feel like, like I said, the lack of education maybe around politics is becoming more apparent now with obviously what's going on in the world with COVID and people are trying to stand up a bit more around the environment, which we'll talk about as you're the environment minister for New South Wales. Is it, I mean, I know there is after having a chat to you this morning, there's a bit of an advisory board for young people to come into um, parliament and actually have a bit of a say because I think someone like myself, obviously I have a bit of personal bias around mental health and around well-being, but I know also there's a lot of other great young people in the podcasting world and also through social media that have a big voice that really want to be heard. 
what's kind of the step if we want to come and actually have some input without someone jumping in as a politician, mm. but to have some sort of input and yeah, be able to advise politicians who are making a lot of decisions for the future of us young people. How can we get more involved and get more educated in it? Well, I, I take our journey as an example. Like mm. it was the fact that you and I just sort of, I think had a mutual connection through surfing and then had a discussion and then that kind of evolved into a chat around mental health and it was just a partnership or an opportunity to sort of work out okay let's at least just start with a conversation yeah so I think a lot of people wouldn't know who their local mayor is they wouldn't know who their local member of parliament is um, and then they get confused when you overlay their federal member of parliament to that so first thing to do would just be jump on Google and work out who locally represents you and then, you know, follow them if they're on Instagram or Facebook or whatever and just get a feel for what it is that they're doing and you might see, hey, that's something that I'm passionate about or I'm just going to drop your office an email or, you know, like something of yours on, on Instagram to, to show you that I'm interested in that because it, it's, I think people operate in, in their own silo and their own you know, French group, friendship group or interest that they're kind of involved in. But if you look up and outside of that, you, you can sort of realise that there are some um, similarities and some, some mutual interests. So I think just working out who represents you to begin with is, is a good starting point. And then if you're passionate or interested in a particular topic, doesn't matter what it is, then there will be no doubt some sort of engagement opportunity or thing or policy that the government or at whatever level is doing that you can be involved in or help with Mm. so um there's and then there are more formal approaches so the youth advisory panel which is essentially a collection of young people from across the state that come together that meet with politicians in new south wales parliament and online um, semi-regularly to share ideas and, and provide feedback and and really a grassroots kind of feedback loop into what's going on and where we can do better and, and what needs to be addressed. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And I'm grateful that you've given me the opportunity to come into New South Wales Parliament on multiple occasions and be involved in the Northern Beaches Mental Health Summit and also catch up with um, the Honourable Bronnie Taylor, who's the Mental Health Minister, who has given me some funding and taken interest in my work with the Good Human Factor, which I'm super grateful for. But I mean, it's just the tip of the iceberg and you know how much work there is always still to be done. But I'm grateful for the opportunity you've given me so far and I'm excited for the work that we can continue to do together just from that relationship. And like you said, obviously, I might have had a bit more of an authentic and in because of my surf profile and you working closely with Surfing New South Wales and Manly, the Australian Open Surf event down at Manly, that was my kind of in with you, but it's nice to know and explain to my listeners how they can get a bit more involved. I want to talk about your journey into politics now. So I guess explain to the listeners how it works to be the member for Manly and then that sort of stepping stones and where you're at now because then that'll bring me into our conversation around the environment nicely, I think. Yeah, so I've been the the member for Manly, which is the term that people have for, for... So each member of parliament is elected to represent a particular geography and Manly is the name of the seat, um, even though it takes in from Manly up to Collaroy. Um, there are, well, it's testing me now, 93 seats that make up the Parliament of New South Wales. So you've got, um, you know, the state divided into different, different areas and each area has its own elected representative. So every four years, 
people in New South Wales will go to an election and vote for whoever they want to have represent them. And whichever party or group forms a majority of people in the parliament, they then become the government. So um, my journey was five years ago, there was um, a retirement in this seat. It was held by the former premier at the time. And um, he decided to, to that he had enough. And then, um, so I stood and I represent the, I'm a member of the Liberal Party, but, um, and so stood for them uh, as, as the choice of the people of Manly and then got elected. And there's about 125,000 people that make up the federal seat. So in my seat, there's about 80, 87,000 people that I represent and then they will vote and then um, I was, got elected, yeah. So then you're the local member for a particular area and then you're, then your sort of um, pathway as a member of parliament, so ultimately if you're in government then you get the opportunity to become a minister and that essentially is a member of um, the, the decision-making body that determines the direction of, of where the state's going to go. So you'll hear references like the cabinet and um, you know the minister for environment or the minister for transport or the minister for whatever it might be um, and so over time you know you do a good job uh, and then you'll get the opportunity hopefully to become a minister and that happened to me in December when I took on the role of, as minister for the environment um, in New South Wales and also have the role of minister for heritage as well so that kind of then explodes your world because you've gone from looking after manly to looking after the environment right across the state. And as you know, um, this week I've been out beyond Burke, um, which is 850 kilometres northwest of, of where we are right now. So it was pretty pretty amazing. Um, but it's an enormous privilege to do that, that yeah. job. How special is that getting to connect with communities, not just in the coastal area, obviously, of Manly, but connect with Indigenous Australians and really share that, I mean, and heritage is obviously really important as well. How special is that for you getting to represent the whole of the state when it comes to the environment? Because it is something, I mean, so important to me being a professional athlete who uses the ocean every single day of his life. And I know how important it is to keep the oceans clean and do things along those lines. How special does it feel for you to know that your role is to protect the environment and keep an eye out for the environment, the animals and all of the amazing things that we have here in New South Wales. Yeah, huge, huge responsibility, uh, massive honour to do it. And you'll remember, it probably was a year and a half ago, we went down at Queenscliff when we launched the... Plastic pollution. The draft, yeah, yeah, the plastics pollution strategy. Yeah. And that, I think, so I wasn't the minister then, but that was a great indication. So we did that with the Premier and the then, and the then Minister for the Environment. And so... You know, that was a passion. I, I had a passion for marine um, and ocean conservation back then. So to now have, like, be at the driver's seat to deliver that is, is really um, amazing. So, you know, it's, it's a, I mean, conservation, whether in the ocean or on the land, mm. is, is a focus of mine this year. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of work to do, but, uh, yeah, it's an enormous honour. And I think one of the other amazing parts of this is that, most of the national parks across New South Wales, we have a joint management arrangement with the local Aboriginal community or all the elders that are in the area. And so they're, look, they're kind of bringing their Aboriginal land management techniques that have been around for thousands of years mm. to what we're doing in national parks. 
Um, and that's just, uh, it was a privilege to meet them when we went out to this uh, amazing place called Gundabuka oh, um, National Park. And it was like red soil, you know, it was really outback kind of stuff. Um, and there was some rock carvings there and rock art. It was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah it's really cool. I'm, I'm excited to go and do a bunch more mental health workshops out in rural communities this year. It's something that is a passion of mine as well to connect with culture a bit more. Actually, the last episode, last week's episode on Good Humans podcast was was with Solly Bailey, who's um, was one of the first Indigenous Australians to wear the flag on his shoulder on the World Surf League, which was really cool. Something I wanted to touch on that obviously was a big thing when it comes to the environment in recent years in New South Wales was the bushfires in 2020. And from what I heard and from obviously media and social media whispers and stuff, there was quite a lot of heat put on the government based on their maybe lack of knowledge around how to um, help with that problem. Mm. What's your kind of views moving forward, working with the Indigenous elders? As you said, they've got great techniques and they've been doing this for thousands of years to avoid catastrophes like those bushfires we had. What's your vision for the future to make sure we don't have something like that happen again? Yeah, well, I think the first point is to acknowledge upfront. Um, and really loudly that climate change absolutely was a driver of those bushfires. And then you, th- you have that issue, um, long periods of drought, side by side with um, some challenges around um, how, the, how the land is cared for and what's been going on out there in those particular areas. So there was an inquiry done um, into the bushfires in 2020 and when an inquiry takes place, it's a, it's a really, really fulsome review using all the, all the departments and all the apparatus that government has to go and look at what took place, what lessons can we learn, what do we need to change and how do we improve. And one of the things I'm most proud of is that national parks actually have a huge um, firefighting contingent. So there's over a thousand firefighters that belong to national parks and they do everything from... Um, hazard reduction burns using helicopters to get into really remote parts of, of New South Wales, um, right through to standing side by side with the Rural Fire Service to, to support um, the, the bushfire issues. So there's been a lot of work since then to, to rebuild those communities that were um, devastated. And then from a land management technique, uh, you know, further engagement, closer work with Aboriginal communities who have really um, important fire management techniques that, as you said, have been going for thousands of years. So hazard reduction burns, which gets rid of the fuel load on the ground, um, fire trails being put into different areas so that they can get to you know in high risk areas and, and deal with the fire before it becomes a major issue. Improving um, the amount of funding that's gone into the fire service, so tankers, equipment. Um, and, and, and you know a whole bunch of work on that side as well. So there's been a holistic look at how we can better be, be better prepared, but also what do we need to do differently to, to um, deal with this issue in the long term mm. because it's, it's not going to go away. You know, I've been lucky this summer with La Nina, um, so the weather pattern's been different. You know, it's cyclical, but the long-term trend is, you know, we've got to deal with climate change, and I'm really... Um, you know our net zero as a state we're committed to net zero and have led Australia in in our renewable energy work so you know we're doing a lot across the across the board yeah that's my next question moving into a world of renewables I mean net zero seems like so far away at the moment obviously and it is going to be difficult based on 
hopefully, I mean, based on the projections of technology rather than knowing if we're going to be able to get there ever, but it's good to know that there is that ambition to get there. What's your view on renewables? What's your take on the steps forward and how are you planning on transitioning us as a community and what sort of jobs and education do you see there needing to be for young people to start transitioning into renewables and that future of renewable and net zero? Yeah, it's kind of goes back to our first point around that people only kind of appreciate politics when it touches their lives. And if you think about um, communities, let's take the, um, uh, you know, where a lot of mines are, historically, mining communities have rightly been concerned about, hey, well, where's my job going to go or where's my future if this particular mine shuts and, you know, I'm not mining coal or doing whatever it might be. Um, So I think over the last couple of years there's been a very um, respectful discussion about the fact that you don't have to fear a transition to renewable energy if you live in those communities because we can replace coal mining jobs with renewable energy jobs Mm. and they will not only be um, a better form of employment but it obviously has the benefits of of, um, making us head to a net zero future so we've done a lot of work in um, things that are called renewable energy zones which take an expanse of um, mining communities or areas where there's a great opportunity to build renewable energy technology and start a discussion early on with those communities to say this is a long-term plan. Um, this is what's called a just transition. So we will help you move away from those old industries into the new ones um, and create a sustainable workforce for you into the future. So at the same time, you, you're kind of building a, a, a good, sustainable future economy, but you're also doing the right thing for the environment. And those renewable energy zones are um, getting up and running across New South Wales at, at the moment. So. It's happening. Um, we're one of the first states to commit to net zero and, um, and follow that up with billions of dollars worth of investment to make sure that we get to where we're going. The proof is in the pudding. So AGL just announced the, last week that they're going to bring forward in New South Wales closing their old power stations, coal, like coal-fired power stations, by a couple of years. And in doing that, they've been able to say, no more burning of coal through this power station because the renewable energy work is going so well. So, like, it, it works. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think where it gets a bit... Like, you, you've got to sort of be conscious that there are extremes of the argument, but the sensible middle is you can't just switch off coal mm-hmm. right now, but you've got to commit to phasing it out and quickest rather than later, and that's what we're doing. Yeah, um, it's like the argument you see people go, like when they invented electricity they were doing it under a candlelight like we can't just snap our fingers and be at renewable and i understand that and people who are on the other side of the fence and like oh we're gonna stop straight away it's just unrealistic and i can understand that and it's good to know that there is that awareness around that and also that ambition to try and get to the point of net zero which yeah it's, it's going to be interesting i think the next couple of years but i think it is important obviously for future generations i know you've got some young children mm-hmm. and i know how important it is for you to make sure that this planet we live on and this especially country we're in here in australia and even more specifically here in new south wales it's important for us to look at moving into the future and it's like the old um frog in a mm-hmm. um in a kettle sort of thing like 
if we wait until it's too late, it's going to be a lot harder to come back. So it's yep. good that we are aware and doing that research and understanding kind of where the future needs to go. And doing really practical things as well. So we're building the electric vehicle charging stations mm. because the research showed that people like, yeah, I want to get one, but I'm a bit concerned. Like, okay, where do I charge it? What happens? I, I need to feel secure that if I've got an EV, I'll be able to get around. And so, where does the electricity come from to charge the EV exactly, vehicles? It's That's... all like circular. So, um, yeah, but there, I, I think, um, the, you know, changes here, it's happening. Yeah. Like, I don't think people should be terribly concerned about certainly New South Wales or is are we on board with with renewables or not like it is happening yeah Yeah. another big one that we touched on briefly before was plastic and pollution Mm. it's such a uh, big one plastic like I think I did something with Corona and Parlay last year and the stats that they told us was since plastic was invented like 60 years ago we've produced more in the last eight years than we have in the 52 years previous so one of the big things that they kind of promoted to us and the education I have around it is it's not so much reducing the use of plastic. It's more so about trying to create products that Mm. are not plastic based and trying to encourage people to use products that aren't plastic based. What's your kind of policy and what's your vision for the future of plastic and how do we transition away from plastic? Because like the pollution from plastic is, I mean, you obviously see at the beach every time I walk off the beach, I, make it my aim to pick up multiple pieces of trash and so so often it is plastic what's the future and the vision with plastic and pollution for you i think the future for plastic uh we've 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 got a really good opportunity so you're you're right in the sense that um it's this sort of this concept of the circular economy so not needing to go back and create or use plastic um from the source but you know have a circular economy where you can recycle or upcycle um, clothing or, or you know plastic mm. into a new product and so it kind of creates a, a loop there are two other drivers that we can pull so one is our um, plastics plan that we've we've done and you know you were there for the launch of that that comes into effect um, one July this year so the phasing out of single use, a number of single-use plastics like cup straws, um, stirrers, straws. That's one way of dealing with it. The other way is something that everybody can be involved in, which is your role or our role as a consumer. Mm. So deciding to consciously say, I'm going to support this particular brand or product because they are either doing great work in, in trying to be a sustainable company or uh, you know have made really clear that they've got a good track record in that. So it, you know I think people don't appreciate how powerful they are in this equation by choosing where they spend their money and in doing that it also allows government to say well it's not just us coming in and regulating you and creating policies to support minimization of plastic but consumers are also deciding what they want with mm. you know where they spend we've been investing heavily in um, remanufacturing facilities so all of the bottles that you put into your um it depends where you live, but you, you know, what is it? Yellow, Yellow bin. bin. Yeah. Um, go, you know, they get sorted and then that makes its way to a remanufacturing facility where they get turned then into different products. Um, we're talking benches, tables, um, all sorts of different things. There's a really interesting uh, group I was talking to the other day where they use IV bags in hospitals and turn them into gumboots. Hmm. It's the same company. So at the beginning, they produce the IV bag 
they then go and collect it from the hospitals and it ends up being then created into a gum boot, which they sell. So, it, you know, that's part of the equation, but they've got to deal with the, the source, like what's their feedstock for plastic. But um, I think that there is so much great technology and an appetite for people to solve this problem. Yeah. And I think we're, we're there. One of the areas that is a bit of a challenge is fast fashion. So, you know, a lot of clothing that we buy just gets discarded and, and it's, a, it's a, big, a big challenge in the waste space. Yeah, it's something I'm actually looking at doing with the Good Human Factory is I'm lucky I've got good contacts now in manufacturing and with AS Colour, so now when I do my merch, I'm going to do only sell for two days and then only order and produce what gets sold rather than overproducing it sitting in dead stock and just not going anywhere. So anyone listening, when I <laughs> launch my new products, know that um, yeah, I'm going to try and really align with that kind of good human motto of being ethical. Another one I wanted to bring a little light, I don't know if you've met my friend Sam Fricker, the um, diver, I went to the Olympics, young guy, but he's got a straw company called Sam Straws, yeah, made yeah. out of wheat straws. So yeah, yeah, shout out to Sam. I'm going to get him a little meeting with you one day around the environment and his yeah. passion for it too. I'll, well, I'll have to bring him in, we'll set that up. That's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. it's about connecting those people. But yeah, one more question about um, environment and this one's close to home for me and I grew up in Narrabeen and this is one that I told the Narrabeen community I would bring to you because I think it's important that we understand the levels of politics when it comes to things like there's this Narrabeen seawall. So I'm going to read out a little, because um, I'm not fully aware of it because I'm not living in Narrabeen anymore. But this is a question that I got asked from a local member from Narrabeen about this new seawall that's been built. So the DA process for the seawall was done through a normal private method like any other home located on the beaches. The DA was not available for exhibition to allow public the public to comment. The process was not transparent um, the private land borders a public beach and the vertical seawall affects the community for future generations. There's many different seawall designs and the council allowed the vertical seawall to be approved and the science says the design isn't good for the beach. The landowners of neighbouring beachfront properties to the north have submitted similar design seawall. Northern Beaches Council have an independent panel to be involved in the process. Does the panel include experts? We don't know why it's not that transparent. And like, why is the local... And state government footing part of the bill for this works because the beach is it because the beach beach belongs to the community or the private landowners. So why was the DA wasn't the DA put on exhibition for this case? Because it's a it's a pretty sticky one, mm. I guess, because the beach is bordering people's property. But yeah, what's your kind of what can people do in a situation like that where the local councils are? I mean, let's not say sneaking things through, but yeah, that's the way it looks. That the locals aren't really getting a say in some things like this when obviously the beach is very close to my heart and yours as well. So mm-hmm. what kind of advice would you give to local community members with things like that when their local councils are not giving them a bit of a say and much transparency and stuff? Yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, this is an issue that not only Narrabeen but other um, coastal communities are going to increasingly have to grapple with because coastal erosion mm. is something that... that you know, as a result of climate change and, and changing weather patterns is something that we're going to have to, to really grapple with. Um, you know, the one at Narrabeen, I mean, it's pretty wild. Like, I've seen images of it and, and you know, I love the team up at Surfrider Foundation who I know have been, you know, really, sh- you know, shining Loud, light on, yeah. on what's going on up there. The, the images are, are shocking. Like, it, it, it looks just really jarring doesn't look like a beach no it's it, gross it, it, it looks like a 
Something in you Europe. Know, nine foot wall. Yeah. On a, on a, so, um, but I understand the council at this point have said there is nothing unsurprising about the how it looks at this point in time. So I hope that you know once they've done it, then the 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 sand will rebuild. Mm. But I, I'm I'm not entirely sure. But I think with respect to process, great questions. Like one of the things that every level of government has to be very particular about is ensuring that process is followed mm. and that it's transparent and that people then have faith in the decisions that have been made. And I, I don't have an answer as to why it wasn't, the DA wasn't on display like normal ones would have been. Um, and I'd recommend that people, if, if, that, if they want an answer to that, they, would, they should definitely write to the council and seek, seek you know, explanation as to why that um, was the case. I think the the seawall at the end of the day, like it's, um, I, 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 it's a challenging one. Like mm. I'm not sure how the council arrived at that. That's where they wanted to take it, and that's what they wanted to do. Um, I remember the storms a couple of years ago that that I think started this whole discussion. Mm. When it, you know, the, you know, there's images we've all seen it as the pool yeah. in the water and all sorts of different things from the house nearby. Um, so it's a hard one, and I can certainly appreciate why people that live up there and the locals. Um, uh, really upset with how it's unfolded. So, you you know, this is back to the opening point around you've got your local government who make decisions, you've got your state government and your federal government, and to a degree, each can't really... Impede on the other. Yeah, kind of interfere with the processes of the other. And whilst um, we might provide the council, and we do provide this particular one with a lot of money to get things done, it, we can't kind of say, well you can only spend it on doing mm. these particular things. So, I, you know, it, it, it looks terrible. It's quite shocking. Um, and hopefully it'll, it'll resolve itself. But I think get in touch with the council. Continue to make your, your, your concerns felt. Um, yeah, because it sounds like a lot of people are trying to do that and not really getting anywhere. And I went and checked it out on my drive down here mm. this morning and there was signs for the council saying no entry that were star picketed that had been knocked over by swell that were getting washed into the ocean that I picked up personally. And it's sad to see that. And hopefully Northern Beaches Council can, yeah, listen to the locals and understand that the beach is a community, especially Narrabeen Beach. It's a heritage site and Mm -hmm. it's one of the most renowned beaches on this planet with millions of people over its lifetime and millions more over in the future who are going to use that beach where it sounds like the interest of the small minority that live along that beachfront are the ones who were kind of being protected through the process so so i think you know this is where good advocacy comes in and and you guys have got a really strong voice and you know interesting connected people in the surf community um so that's where you know and sort of the theme of our chat today is about being involved in politics and Mm. and not being afraid of it because you might not understand it this is a great case study of you know, don't just give up, like keep, keep kind of getting organized and be clear about what it is, like the outcome that you want and then engage respectfully and proactively, you know, keep the discussion going. Yeah. And I think it's so common in our days. So everyone's so opinionated and so triggered when it comes to stuff like this. If somebody has a different opinion or a different view, it turns into like an argument or a fight. And it's yeah. like, I think it's there's obviously not much gets done when it's fueled by that. Mm-hmm. I think the more that we can create a discussion and, understand like i'm sure the people who own the houses along there Mm. 
just as scared for losing their house that they've probably spent millions of dollars to build. And I think that's the thing that the local community is a bit bummed about. Like you've seen, I've seen aerial shots of all the houses who are in front of that seawall have got their nice new gardens built and some pools built along the front there. And it's like, well, yeah, but look at the other side of the wall that everybody else has to look at. So I'm going to leave that question there because it can keep going. But I think it's just a good one for people to take away. Like when it comes to politicians or people that you see on social media with profile everything comes from such a triggered point of view now and everything if you say something against the narrative or against a certain person you get cancelled and you get triggered and no discussion I think it's a time that we really need to begin to just realize that it's about understanding and the way forward is to have open discussions with people in power and people with influence so we can move forward together as uh, as a community yeah and I think recognizing that often a decision's not being made by one person yeah or 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 just to you know because it's going to annoy another group of people like Mm. there's often a reasonable set of circumstances behind why decisions being made that balances up all sorts of competing interests and and you're never going to get it right 100 percent of the time um but the problem is that because people are like entrenched in their own camps Mm. and they don't decide to put themselves in one another's shoes and go okay well empathy Empathy, you Mm. know how can we kind of work this out or at least explain to me your position so we can go from there and And listen just yelling listen yeah Yeah. listen that was something i wanted to talk to you about watching anything to do with parliament and politics (laughs) it seems like there's a bunch of school kids in there like how are people who are running our country you included you hear them somebody say something that somebody doesn't agree with and you have 50 people talking over them and yelling at them from the back like What's your take on that? Yeah. To me, watching that, it's like a bunch of school kids bickering yeah. about each other and laughing at each other. It's like, and these are the people who are meant to be the most influential and mature and smart and knowledgeable people in our country, yet they're all bickering. And yeah. like, that, to me, that just seems crazy. But it, it, <laughs> yeah, and uh, that snippet that they show is the fueled side of it. Yeah, like maybe worth an hour or two hours of the entire day of parliament Mm. what you don't see is different political you know um, people from different parties working together on committees Mm. or doing the work um, outside of parliament collaboratively to arrive at a different point and then the rest of the day which is generally a very considered kind of mature debate what what you often see is question time (laughs) and that actually is in my view, um, it's theatre. Like yeah. it's it's designed to um, you know, prosecute your argument and and kind of and 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 it's a bit of a show, but unfortunately, that's what the masses see. At, you know, during the, the you know nightly news or whatever it is, mm. and and it and it then forms, I think, a, a view of oh, it must be like that the whole time. Yeah, but it's not. But you know, the way I kind of try and keep grounded is by saying or thinking and reminding myself that. Of, of what would my community think if they were sitting in the in the gallery where you can sit and watch parliament mm. like would they be proud of how yeah. they're behaving and and i think it takes more discipline to not respond and bite back to the sledges from the other you side don't agree with but then then to just take the bait and and, and have a go back because um, then you just descend into having yeah and that's what i was just touching on before it's like have a mature rep- approach to it and listen to the person if you don't agree with it you don't have to yell out at them it's basically what happens nowadays with social media and comment sections but anyway we won't go into that but 
my last little topic that I want to touch on is mental health. Obviously, that's what this podcast is about, what I've really put my purpose aligned to. So mental health is obviously important to me. What are some things that you do to take care of your mental health? That's a good question. Uh, I, I try, I try to, to run. Mm, um, and, love that. And, and um, that I ran a fit, like I was an you know, average middle distance runner at school, um, but enjoyed it. And then I got involved early on with this thing called the Invictus Games, mm-hmm. which is essentially um, Olympics for, for veterans. veterans. Yeah. And the principle of the Invictus Games is about the relationship between movement, like physical activity, and your mental health. And the fact that scientifically proven that if you get out and get active, it helps stimulate mm-hmm. um, your mind and kind of get you in a better headspace. So uh, I realized at that point I hadn't been running for, for a while, like, and I needed to build that back into my life. So I go, I try and get out as much as I can. Um, you know, 10K is probably my limit for each run, but uh, it really kind of resets my mind and, and I get into a good thinking place when I'm doing that. Um, so yeah, trying to stay physically active, um, recharge the batteries with, with my family, you know, that's, that's where it's at. But I think, um, you know, the work you've done over the past couple of years, uh, firstly, I think it's really brave that you kind of stood up and acknowledged that this was an issue and we're going to do something about it and then followed that through um, mm. to the point now where, you know, you're on the radar of, of Bronnie, who's, you know, the Minister for, for Mental Health and, and, uh, and, you know, she's really supportive of what you're doing and, and I think um, trying to help scale and get you out to, you know, the regions and rural New South Wales to bring your story out there. Yeah, and it's something I really respect about you. You're from my outside looking in your way to engage with the community is to go and get involved in a fun run and go and actively participate in something come down to the surf comps like the lifeline surf comps to the events and be actively involved in that rather than sitting at the cricket and commentating that we won't say who that is (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that's something that i really respect about you that the way that you seem to engage with the community is through things that are literally engaging with the community you go and do the fun runs you go and get involved and show people that you're a real guy you're got a young family and you're just here to really support the community and and i really respect that so thank you for that one last thing obviously me with my workshops and schools you have got me into parliament a few times to speak with Bronnie. what other bit of advice would you say give to me to continue to grow my program to get into more is there any way that you can assist me with getting a big email list of all the schools or something because I know the data and feedback and the response I've had now from my workshops is tremendous and it is maybe a little bit different than a lot of people are looking at mental health. There is so many great organisations out there, so many great charities that are really focusing on that one in five Australians who have a mental illness. Whereas my take on it is we all have mental health and my goal is to educate, inspire and just motivate the five in five of us who have mental health not just the mental illness side of the industry so yeah what what would you what bit of advice would you give for me i mean i know i feel like i'm on a pretty good track right now but from a bit of a mentor to me and somebody who understands the political side of the game how would you advise me to sort of continue to grow what i'm doing i I think that that way you just um pitched that or articulated that you know five and five have mental health Mm. like we all have mental health and instead of being the ambulance down the bottom to kind of help clean up the mess when it's all become too much, mm. uh, it, you know, you're the, the fence at the top. Yeah. You know, helping build mental resilience and mental health 
um, you know, to help people, to give them the tools to, to, to sort of stay as mentally healthy as they can. I think one thing that we'll, there are some benefits of the last two years that we've kind of all slogged through with COVID, mm. and that is a, a, a newfound, I think, appreciation that many people didn't have before for the importance of mental resilience. And there were times when I think everybody was quite anxious about what was happening. And it, it's, it's now there's an opportunity to say, okay, well, that happened to us collectively. Mm. We all now appreciate that. You've got to look after yourself holistically and mental health is a really critical and key part of that. The way you do it by connecting with young people as well, I think is vital because as you said, if you don't learn about politics or finance or the environment at an early age, it, you know, it can be a mystery all the way through and the same mm. applies for considering your own mental health. The key point is data helps mm tell a really important story and provides evidence to continue to do things. So the more data you collect, and, and you know, we discussed this last year or year before, um, and you've gone and set out to do that, is just get feedback. Like, how did people respond to the course or, you know, being involved with what you're doing? Because then you can kind of present that to government and say, this works. Mm. It's a bit different, but it works. And I think there's an appetite to explore things differently. Uh, because you know what we've been through it's time to think a bit differently about what the future looks like yeah and i think evidence shows in the data obviously it was we it was great to see that the suicide rate stayed quite steady and didn't incline or went down a tiny bit i think uh, in 2020 compared to 2019 which we'll see what sort of comes up the next couple of years but i think what i'm trying to encourage people and the way that i look at mental health is with the good human factor is if you're a good human and you live by values and you try and focus on little things every single day, not necessarily mental health related, if you're a good human and you live by good values and you're kind and you're mindful and you're empathetic and you live that sort of life, then good mental health is a byproduct of it. Whereas so often the mental health industry is pigeonholed in this one-dimensional anxiety, depression, suicide. They're the three key words that 90% of the industry leans on. And I think it's time that we start to change the language around it and go, hey, if you're focusing on techniques and skills and developing these from a young age, good mental health is a byproduct of it, not spotting the signs, not this, which is a very important part of the industry. And I, I hate to take anything away from that. But I think 95% of the funding and the 95% of the research we're doing into it is in that one in five that have a mental illness. But we tend to forget the fact that five in five of us have mental health. And if we can encourage inspire and motivate those four and five who don't have a mental illness maybe we can grow that number to nine in ten and I, I think that's where my angle is and I, and I appreciate that you can see that mm. it is a different way of looking at it and i'm excited to when we finish this chat in a minute to show you some of my data because it is pretty cool to show to see what's been happening with yeah. my different approach and i have covered carried a lot of imposter syndrome i like to think mm. over the last few years going like who am i to go and talk about this like i don't have a psychology degree but through my own personal experience and through my own self-development and working with sports psychologists, I feel like I have gained quite a good grasp of understanding and anybody who listens to this podcast and understands where I'm coming from, I think appreciates my view on mental health and understands that it is maybe a different take to what we've been marketed and told in the media is mental health. And yeah, I appreciate you taking the time for, for one today to have a conversation with me around obviously the environment and your journey and mental health 
and yeah, it has been, it's been great to really catch up and have a chat and pick your brains. But the last question I'm going to ask you that I ask everyone on this podcast is, <laughs> what does being a good human mean to Je- the Honourable James Griffin? <laughs> uh, it means um, living your life with passion, um, being a person of integrity, and I think just just trying to you know leave the place a little bit better than you found it. You know, and it doesn't take much to do that. Um, but I want to finish this podcast with a question to you. Oh, please do it. Nobody's ever given me one yet. Fire, let's go. So for, I think, and you know, every, every listener would back this in. Um, so when, when are you going to run for parliament? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking that when I was coming in here. I was like, fire out. I, I don't even understand how the system works it yet. Matter. It doesn't matter. Oh, I mean. It doesn't matter. You, you, you're out there doing good stuff. And, you know, I think that... Don't, it's just that sometimes it's very overwhelming and people think I don't get it and you know use the the term imposter syndrome before everybody has that to a degree Mm. Um, but you just got to take a leap and you know (laughs) I I think it'd um, it'd it'd be a great fit and it'd work well so I mean maybe one day in the future I've still got a lot of goals and purpose and um, impact that I feel like I can have in my little niche right now but as it grows I mean Fire out. If you told me five years ago I was going to be running a mental health business and hosting a podcast, I would have laughed at you because that was not really on my radar at all. But hey, the future can hold anything. I was two, A week ago, I was laughing, thinking, oh, imagine if like one day I wrote a book and then yesterday I kind of started conceptualizing the idea of writing a book. So maybe author one day, maybe politician one day, but no, nah, just hopefully every day trying to live as a good human and live to my values and yeah, inspire listeners out there to be the best versions of themselves. So yeah, big thank you for jumping on Good Humans podcast. I think of you as a great mentor and a great human and a great representative for Manly and um, yeah, New South Wales government. So thanks so much. Thanks, Cooper. This has been a Wellbeing Network podcast. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.